Now, if you've been here um, for any of the last number of weeks, you'll know that through the whole of 2023, our Sunday morning teaching series is on the kingdom of God, which we're going to continue today. One of the one of the fascinating things that happens at some of the funerals that I take is that the way you get a fuller picture of the person, because at a funeral you have different parts of their life coming together. And so I can think of a, one of the funerals we took last year for Stuart Clark. And at that funeral, you had his family there, you had work colleagues there, you had his faith represented. And it's a fascinating way of getting a fuller picture of people that you may not have known in all those ways. And for these few weeks that we're in at the moment, from last week through for the next few, we're trying to get a fuller picture of Jesus as the one through whom we experience the blessings of God's kingdom. So we're looking at different perspectives from different points in time. Last week, we looked from ancient history at an Old Testament prophetic word that told us what he would be like and what he would bring. These few weeks, we're going to be looking at his life this week and the next two particularly. Then we're going to look at the church living in the light of Jesus having come. And then finally, when he comes again, and it's going to give us a fuller picture of Jesus as the one through whom we experience the blessings of God's reign. So last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 61, a very famous prophetic word looking at this Messiah who would one day come and bring the blessings. And today, dare I say, it's even more exciting because the Messiah has come. And we're going to find that blessings are being poured out because in the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God is breaking out upon the earth. Here's some verses from Matthew chapter 4. They'll be on the screen behind. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, another of Isaiah's prophecies. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, and then you're going to think it's Christmas. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In 2021, <coughs> A road was completed that spanned the largest and driest sand desert in the world. 
It crossed Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and the UAE, and into Oman. It took 12 years to build. It covered 435 miles. They had to remove 21 million cubic meters of sand, and it reduced the journey time from Saudi to, Iran, uh, to Oman, or the other way around, by 16 hours. John has been building a road through the desert. Now he's been put in prison. He's been building a highway through the spiritual desert of Israel so that the Messiah can come with people ready for him. So we read about what John has been doing in just the previous chapter. And I want you to try and look out for the words that he speaks that are exactly the same as what Jesus just spoke. In chapter three, we read this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he, the one he's speaking about, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John has been preparing a highway, a desert through the desert. And Herod's decision as chapter four has just told us, to put John in prison serves as a really, really crucial point in time in the beginning of Jesus' ministry because it serves as a catalyst for Jesus to relocate. Sometimes people say to me, where are you from? It's one of the first questions we tend to ask each other, isn't it? And my standard reply is, which might sound a little bit weird, but I'll explain, I don't really know. There's a map of my moves in my life. I don't really know where I'm from. Those moves have each come about because of a catalyst, uh, usually a job move for my dad or for myself. For example, after nine years in Sussex, I was in a leaders meeting one evening and we were just having a normal conversation and suddenly I felt very strongly God saying to me, your time here is done. It was thoroughly unexpected. But that word I felt from God became a catalyst for movement down to Devon. Well, Herod's decision to put John in prison serves as a catalyst for Jesus to relocate. Verses 12 and 13 say this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went, left his hometown, and lived in Capernaum. Nazareth, where he was raised, was a small hill country village of just a few hundred people. And he relocates to Capernaum, which in contrast was a bustling lakeside fishing and administrative town of perhaps 10,000 people. And it's from here that he's going to embark on his three-year ministry. You see, John's work is done. In God's plans and purposes, Herod has imprisoned John. That's not God making that happen, but God using that as the catalyst now. John's work is done, and Jesus' ministry is just about to begin. Jesus knows that this is the time to walk down the highway that John has prepared onto the stage that's been set to walk along it because the kingdom of God is coming through and in Jesus, which of course is why he came. 
If I was to say to you, or to the average Christian, why did Jesus come? I suspect, and please bear with me, there's so much truth in this. I suspect most people would say, Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die on a cross and rise again to forgive us of our sins. Is that a correct answer? Yes, it's a correct answer. I want to dare to say to you, and please feel free to go and think about this, that it's an incomplete answer. It's a magnificent answer. It's all we could ever need. But Jesus came to announce and demonstrate and bring the reality of the kingdom of God is near. And our experience of that and our being brought into that is through his death and through his resurrection. You see, God is about a global business and he's building a kingdom across the nations of the world. That's why Jesus came. And so, verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, you may not have spotted this, but it's interesting and it's hugely significant that Jesus ends up in that area, starting his mission in Galilee. You see, if Jesus, if Jesus had wanted mass attention and wanted to make a scene straight away, he would have been much better heading down to Jerusalem to where all the religious power was, the religious and cultural center of Israel. But he doesn't go there. He goes to Galilee. Why go to Galilee? It's a bit like if you're in Bournemouth going and starting in Ferndown, of all places. One Ferndown fan? <laughs> but exactly, not many. Anybody else think Ferndown would be the place? Another one, okay, only two out of a lot of people. You wouldn't go there. Why Ferndown? Why Galilee? A couple of reasons. Really, really important. Number one, because this Galilee up in the north is the place where judgment was due to God's people and every other nation, but in its place, light and grace would come. It's the story we recall every Christmas, some of which we read. Matthew's version of Isaiah 9, prophecy. Matthew quotes it here, verse 14, to fulfill. Why did Jesus go there? Matthew tells us, verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is a well-known prophetic word from Isaiah that the people of Israel know that in the northern area, this judgment and all their rebellion and so on, God is going to wipe you out, and he did, yet there's hope, a light's going to come. A bright light's going to dawn. And Matthew is saying, that is exactly what's happening as Jesus arrives. He's talked about John's mission as preparing the way as Isaiah spoke. Now he uses Isaiah chapter 9 to say a light is dawning where there was judgment. Anyone know in this room that where you should have had judgment, you get grace? No? I am so pleased about that. I know what I deserve. I know what I've earned. I know what, as a sinful human being, I am due. And yet instead... Jesus gets my judgment and I get grace. 
magnificent. That's part of what's going here. And secondly, because it is, verse 15, Galilee of the Gentiles. You wouldn't have said that so much about Jerusalem or Galilee of the nations, as said in the prophecy in Isaiah 9. See, Galilee, up in the north, because of its history, had a very mixed population. They were looked down on by the orthodox, strict Jews in Jerusalem. It was like an unclean area, compromised, defiled, infected with Gentile impurity. Nothing good comes out of there. So impure they are. Why there? Because Jesus has come with grace for all nations. Not simply to bolster the religious life and purity of Old Testament Israel, but to bring the light of God's kingdom into the darkness of every nation. Praise him for that. Going back to Isaiah again, there's a a wonderful passage in Isaiah which includes this. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Why go to Galilee when he goes there to say where judgment was due, grace is coming. And where a place represents all the nations because Jesus has come to bring his kingdom to bear on every part of our world. So Jesus announces, verse 17, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has come near. I've got three questions arising that I'd like to quickly answer. Number one is this. What does Jesus mean by that sentence, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has come near? Well, let's recap quickly. What do we mean by the kingdom of God? There are all sorts of answers out there. The Bible means this. The Bible means the kingly reign of God. You see, God reigns over everything. There isn't a cell in the universe that doesn't belong to him and that ultimately won't bow to him. And he reigns over every heart and every mind who have received him as king and chosen to enter his kingdom. Now to say that God's kingdom has come near means that a decisive moment in God's reign, it's not that God has never reigned, God always has reigned, But a decisive moment has come because God's king is now on the scene. God is taking control in a fresh way. Like I said, it's not because he's been absent or not in control, but because the promised Messiah, servant, king steps onto the scene and something new is taking place in terms of God's reign being expressed and received. What is new? We've then got to ask, so what's new, Tim? If Jesus has turned up on the scene, let me tell you, everything's changed. Everything's new. All that was promised, all these Isaiah promises and many, many others, promises are now reality. What was a shadow is now the fullness. But let's mention a few things. What's new 
As Jesus steps onto the scene and says the kingdom of God is here, these things at least. What's new is the way the kingdom of God is being manifest in the person of Jesus. You see, God himself is now walking around among us. The kingdom of God is seen in that person. The reign of God is being expressed perfectly through that person. That's new. That's different. The kingdom of God is here. We call him Emmanuel, don't we? The New Testament talks about, in my phrase, the invisible God made visible. God has appeared in perfect human form upon the earth. That's new and different. And Jesus says in perhaps his most controversial statement ever, you could debate which is the most controversial, this is in the top few. And he made many controversial statements, but he said this, to a Jewish people who knew there was only one God. You could probably get away with a lot of things, but you could not get away with equating yourself with God. But Jesus says this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. (laughs) God's reign is freshly, newly, decisively here because it is here in the person of God himself. Don't settle for any rubbish that says that Jesus was a good prophet. Don't settle for any utter nonsense that Jesus was just a good teacher because good teachers don't say the the sort of things that he said. He is God. The kingdom of God has come because God has come. What's new is that the kingdom of God therefore is now present through the words Jesus speaks and the things he does. We read verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. It's new. The kingdom of God is being seen and heard and witnessed and experienced in completely new ways. What's new is the way he teaches about the kingdom of God with authority to rightly interpret, to reinterpret, but rightly interpret what God requires. Listen to these words. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The kingdom of God has come. This is new. We've not heard this before. This is a new authoritative teaching. What's new are the miraculous signs that show the present impact of God being king. As Jesus goes around, there's miracle after miracle after miracle. He's healing this one. He's calming this storm. He's doing all sorts of things. What's going on? Is he just a miracle worker? No, no, no. He's God. And the kingdom of God is coming. The reign of God is being experienced through him. Listen to this. The men were amazed after Jesus had calmed the storm and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, in the Old Testament, it's God who walks on the waters. It's God who controls nature. Oh my word, Jesus is doing what God does. Do you know why? Because he's God himself. In the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 9, 
While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. Listen to this. The crowd was amazed. If you do a study of amazed in the Gospels, you'll find it lots. Jesus is amazing. He amazes you. He amazes us. They were amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Why? Because the kingdom of God is coming freshly in Jesus. What's new is what he says, what Jesus says, life under God's reign will look like. Try this for size. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What a strange teaching. The poor, the lowly, the nobodies, the nothings, the have-nots, the are-nots, those who are being persecuted, they are experiencing the presence of God and the power of his kingdom. What's new is who can enter the kingdom of God and how they do so. Jesus says crazy things like this. Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, he says in a debate, this, is, this would cause a stir, I can promise you. He says in a debate, he's speaking to the chief priests and elders. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Can you imagine these upright, dignified very, very holy religious people being told that Rome, that traitors to Rome and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of them. It's all so new. What's new is the way God most fully displays his power, his holiness, his justice in defeating his and mankind's enemies. How does he do it? What big horse will he ride on with military power behind him to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and reign from there and cause Israel to be the dominant nation again? Nothing like it. Instead, he rides in on a donkey, again, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, on a donkey with a few followers, with crowds cheering him, who the very next day turn against him, and just a week later are looking at him, hanging on a cross, saying, see, rubbish, an idiot. He was a nothing. And yet in that moment and his resurrection, God is defeating his enemies. The kingdom of God has come near and it's new and it's fresh and it's different than they ever could have thought it was. In Jesus, make no bones about it, the kingdom of God has come near. God is reigning, God is ruling. Now what does God require then? How do the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those who are not get into the kingdom of God? What does God require? Well, there's only one command given by Jesus at this point, at least, in verse 17, and it's simply this, repent. Mark's parallel account 
has Jesus saying, repent and believe the good news. Well, repent obviously means to include believe. Jesus just says, repent. The point is this, because God's kingdom is here newly, freshly, decisively, get your life aligned with him. The king is here. He's not just another teacher. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another alternative religious leader if you happen to like his way of doing things. No, the king is here. Get your life right. Straighten up. You've been going completely the wrong way. Straighten up and go the right way because he is coming to reign. And let me tell you, you want to be part of his reign. To repent is not to regret Repent is not to have a bit of remorse or sadness about what's happened. Repent is a whole lot deeper than that. Repent is to have a conviction about how I stand before God that requires a complete turnaround. Complete. Let me tell you this. The Christian life does not work if you do this. It doesn't work. It's not designed to work. It doesn't work. Go along, go along. Oh God, repent. It doesn't work. You'll find yourself a miserable Christian because you'll basically be compromised because you never really turned. Jesus says this, repent. Repent is a conviction about my state before God. Oh my word, he is king. I must bow the knee. He's coming one day to bring in his kingdom perfectly. I must do a complete turnaround. Let me tell you, if you ever have a friend who wants to come to know Jesus, it may be a long, gradual process, not always, but please help them do a proper turn. And let me tell you, that if you've become a Christian like this, a few degrees of change, may I dare suggest you get down on your knees and do 180 and bow down. He's king. Repentance, one guy said, is not simply a change of heart, but such a change as enthrones God in the heart. It's a little bit like a trampoline, believe it or not. In order to fly, to leap, to enjoy the lift that a trampoline gives you, you have to go down into it. You have to sink before you rise. To fly, enjoying the blessings of the kingdom of God, I first have to go down in the humility of repentance. Let me tell you again, if you haven't done that, please do it. You'll never know the blessings of the kingdom of God without it. If there's anyone here who's not a Christian, you might be asking this, what does God require of me? What must I do? How good must I be? Forget it. Forget it. God requires this of you. Jesus says this to you today, repent. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus is that king. And if you're a Christian here today, as well as enjoying the wonderful blessings of being under his rule, 
Repentance remains a part of the journey. Don't forget to repent along the way. Maybe there's somebody here, maybe there's a bunch of people here, a bunch of Christians here today, who the one thing you need to hear today is this, repent. And let me tell you how Jesus says it, I think. It's not, repent! I suppose occasionally it might be. But I think it's more like this. Repent sincerely and graciously for the kingdom of heaven is here. Come in. Enjoy it. Leave the muck. Enjoy the kingdom of God. The one thing he requires. And finally, what of us today? We'll get back to that in a moment. What of us today? You see, here's the thing. This is where I want to land. Here, here's the thing. As we sit here in 2023, 2,000 years virtually after Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the mission of Jesus, you see, was to bring the kingdom of God to the, all the nations and by extension to all the peoples of the world because the story continues. His mission remains the same. It continues with this, go and make disciples of, we can do better, <laughs> go and make disciples of, and it ends with a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Jesus is still going to the Galilees. He's still here for all nations. You see, that's what Jesus is still doing. He's still turning up. He's still announcing and demonstrating that the rule of God is right here in him. How? Through his body, through the church. His message is still repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he's speaking it and demonstrating it through his people. That's what he sent his disciples out. Matthew chapter 10, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message that he said would be preached in all nations before he returns. He said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world and then the end will come. It's the message he set the church up with. Acts chapter one, Jesus is raised from the dead. He spends 40 days with his disciples. I wish we knew what he taught them, don't you? Man, it would be fascinating. Do you know what we're told? He spent 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God. And then you get Philip in Acts chapter 8. He's gone down to do some missionary work. What's it? he recorded as talking about? The kingdom of God. Paul records that he's talking about the kingdom of God. You see, some of us just think, well, they went around and said, repent, your sins can be forgiven. Yes, but the kingdom of God has come. He's come to rule. He's going to wrap it all up one day. So get right with him. Have your sins forgiven in repentance. And at the very end of Acts, what do we find Paul doing at the end of his life? 
For two whole years, Paul stayed there under house arrest in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed, guess what he proclaimed about? Any guesses? The kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The kingdom of God is here and it's continuing. It's march through the world. This is our privilege, if you're a Christian today, to enjoy and express and extend the kingdom of God. Enjoying. Do you know there's nothing better than to live under the kingship of God? Enjoy it. There's nothing more a privilege than to express and extend that God is king and he's made a way through his life and death and resurrection to know him. So here's what I want you to take away. I think there's some who will need to repent this morning. But here's what I want you to take away from here as you walk into this next week. Wherever you go, the kingdom of God is turning up in work and deed, in word and deed. It did so decisively in Jesus and the head has passed the mission, which he's still in control of, obviously, to his body. And as the body goes through this week, wherever you go, if you are a Christian, if you're believing in Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming. Think about some of the rooms you're going to walk into when you go to work this week or when you're at home or when you're in social settings. It's not just a nice person coming. No, by the power of the Spirit of God, it's possible to say the kingdom of God is coming into this room. The reign of God in you is going to have some effect wherever you go. What a way to live. <laughs> that'll change your workplace. That'll change your neighborhood. That'll change your family. That'll change your social settings. Not in some arrogant way, but the, is the power of God in us or not? The power of God is in us. The kingdom of God is being enjoyed and expressed through us. So through us, it is extending wherever we go because the Spirit of God is in us. Guess what? He's the same Spirit as was in Jesus. The same Spirit, the same mission, the same kingdom is coming. Can you believe that could be possible? No. I'm believing it's possible. The kingdom of God is coming in word and deed. So with dignity, let's walk into rooms this week with Jesus and trust that his reign is going to come and be extended. Let's stand, can we please? There are some here who the word today to is this, repent. The king is here. And you'll know, you'll just know Well, please do something about that right now. Don't wait till after lunch. You won't do it. Do it now. 180. Talk to him right now. Jesus, I'm sorry I've been mucking around with this. Or I haven't been doing that. 
I'm turning from it now. for all of us I want to pray that God will fill us with expectation that where we go in these next few days the kingdom of God is coming in word and deed pray for that person speak to that other one live a righteous life feel free to enjoy the reign of God wherever you go the kingdom of God is coming wherever we go.